0: I'm Dave Baker.
1: And I'm Andrew Price.
0: Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick an obscure topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty, so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is...
1: Phoenix Jones.
0: Who is Phoenix Jones? Well... He's the world's most recognizable real-life superhero. He's someone who's attempted to turn his body into a living weapon. Someone who's attempted to stand up to the yawning chasm of indifference. Someone who eventually turned to the dark side. strength through weakness. Americans don't trust the institutions that used to supposedly fight for truth, justice, and, well, the American way. Institutionalized racism, class conflict, and corrupted bureaucratic Byzantine mazes of excuses and blame games have caused the United States population to grow decidedly skeptical of authority figures. We're looking for outsiders to shake up the status quo. We're looking for someone with a moral fortitude to do what's right, to strong arm the system into working the right way. And some people, they just feel completely helpless.
2: Just listening to you talk, you can hear that you're upset about it. Yeah. You can hear you have an opinion, you're upset about it. And what do you do? You have a podcast. So you go out and you tell people about it, you educate people about it. I was upset about the city. What do I have? Amazing fists and good looks. So I covered up the good looks so people would pay attention and use my amazing fists to stop crime. That's what I do. But the people who had were really there, the people who lived in it, the people who had happened to, you know what they did? The bagel, nothing. I really thought you could inspire people to stop crime, but I didn't realize the problem with people is themselves.
0: We've all experienced trauma, sloth, and an inability to rise above the doldrums of life's petty grievances. It's about how you process these wrongs, right? That's what separates you into two distinct pools, isn't it, hero and villain. Life ultimately boils down to what you do with your conclusions. And then when I hit like 11th
2: grade, I stopped getting bullied and started bullying bullies because I got bigger. Mm. And I remember I sat down with the principal at this meeting and the principal was sitting across from me. And he, goes, he goes, listen, we knew you were bullying bullies that bullied you. Mm. But now you have to stop because you've taken it too far. Because what they did is they threatened you. They said they would do things, they bullied you, they harassed you, they intimidated you. He's like, you are actually hurting people. He's like, what am I supposed to tell Jordan's parents? You peed on them. What am I supposed to tell his parents? You peed on him again? I did, but it wasn't like it sounds like. So every time I was going to the bathroom or in the bathroom, locker room, these guys would come in and they'd shut up all the lights, and I would just be like stuck in the bathroom. And it's like, it was very awkward. There'd be people in there and they'd like shove me and I'd fall over. And it was really, really annoying. Yeah. And one time, I was going to the bathroom and I got shoved over and I got a little tiny bit of bee on me. And I got really mad. and just like the, the... I would only go to the bathroom during certain periods when I knew they were in class. So when I got older, I saw this guy going to the bathroom and there's like a little trough in the locker room and i just walked up right behind him and just started peeing on him. and when he turned around he's like what are you doing and i was like do something about it and the guy didn't do anything he just sort of walked it off so and that was i guess the final straw you can be a bully but if you pee on bullies that's it gamble.
0: yeah i'm not sure the saying is peeing well is the best revenge but what do i know
1: it's really interesting to watch that video and then later videos because um he's obviously a very kind of like nerdy socially awkward guy but then i feel like later on in later videos he clearly either either gains more confidence or maybe he just really starts to embody the the idea of having the mask on and having another personality because his his personality like fundamentally changes like over time um from this really kind of like genuine kind of nerdy kid who almost kind of lacks a self-awareness to uh this like very charismatic very straight to the point kind of arrogant guy um and then later on you know even darker than that but it's but it's it's fascinating to see and it it reminds me of that whole concept behind spider-man and how you know peter parker is this nerdy kid or miles morales or whomever is is wearing the the suit. Miguel O'Hara. Yeah. Um. He. You know. He's this nerdy kid who lacks the confidence to stand up for himself. But then, whenever he has the mask on, then he's this wise cracking, um, smart guy who his whole thing is that he makes fun of the villains as he's fighting them. And I think that really is true. I think. I. I think. Uh, I've even noticed that, like, oddly enough, uh, walking around with with COVID masks on. There's just something about it where you just become more confident in speaking up and saying things because you just almost feel like it, it gives you this weird level of anonymity that like gives you more confidence and it's it's fascinating to see that in a real life example uh, you know as we as we'll go on we're going to talk about the fact that like real life isn't like comic books and being a superhero in real life is not the same as being a superhero in a comic book but this is one example of something where it perfectly seems to translate into real life
0: yeah And even before he started doing the comics thing, he was kind of doing that. But we'll 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 get into that when we get there. When you look at all the information available, it's hard to say which side of that fault line Phoenix Jones calls home. But what we can say for certain is that his dedication to an ideal, whether you agree with it or not, is unshakable. All right, about to see mutual combat.
2: You got tackles. You got tackles. And now seeing Phoenix Jones.
1: Um, All right.
2: All right. All right. 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 Fighting the suspect. Oh, suspect is down. Vehicle combat is over.
1: That 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 video is fascinating to watch because um, he, you know, it, we we'll we'll learn more as time goes on and as we co- continue through the episode. But in the in the beginning, it's it's interesting to uh view him as what he presents himself as which is this altruistic hero that just is out there trying to defend um the ideals of unshakable justice uh and then you see a video like this and you're like what well, you know what like what's really going on here like is it's it's kind of out of yeah, context
0: he's, he's, he's like he's like on the street in seattle there are multiple videos of phoenix jones approaching a guy and basically like the guy's drunk and trying to fight phoenix jones and phoenix jones is kind of like rebuffs him and then says seattle is a mutual comp uh mutual combat uh city you know washington's a mutual combat state do you agree to mutual combat and the guy like is drunk and he's like yeah man fuck you bro and then you know phoenix jones just like leg kicks him to the ground and, like, demolishes him because he's a fucking, like, trained martial artist. Yeah,
1: it immediately feels weird. Yeah. It immediately feels like what, like, this this doesn't sit right with me in some way.
0: And it's funny, too, because, like, he's definitely trying to do the right thing. He's trying to keep people from getting in fights. He's trying to go out and do a good thing. But then that video just feels so weird. Yeah. It's just so weird. Like, I don't, I can't picture Batman being like, do you agree to mutual combat? Do you agree? And then, like, you know, side swiping someone. like
1: Yeah, it, it reminds me there was, uh, oddly enough, uh, like a weird comparison, but it reminds me of this episode of Growing Pains where...
0: What is happening right now? What
1: alternate <laughs> universe did we just dip into?
0: <laughs> We're going to talk about Growing Pains? It makes sense.
1: Um, there's an episode of Growing Pains where the plot line is that uh, Ben... Who is the Who is uh, Ben?
0: I don't know anything about growing pains. Is that the Kirk Cameron character?
1: No, it's uh, his, the, the 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 actor who plays Ben is his name is Jeremy Miller, um, he's uh he's the younger brother of of uh Mike Seaver, who is Kirk Cameron, um, and he he's in high school, so it's like a later season, and uh he he's getting bullied. By somebody who's pushing him around, and he's like getting really, he's like really emasculated by it, and like just doesn't know what to do. Uh, and so, kind of the the arc of the episode is that he starts taking martial arts lessons, uh, and maybe Cynthia Rothrock is his teacher in it. I don't know. I don't. I haven't seen it. I I, I hope so. Um, She's in
0: an episode of Growing Pains, I think.
1: Maybe that's She's it.
0: In, She's in one of those Growing Pains, Full House, one yeah. of those 80s sitcoms, 90s sitcoms. She's in one of them. I don't remember which one.
1: But he go he he takes martial arts lessons. And then basically the episode culminates with like he, he keeps t- saying that he's going to fight this guy and all this stuff. And his martial arts instructor is trying to tell him that like martial arts is not an offensive tool. It's a defensive tool. Like just don't, don't go out there just picking fights like this is to protect yourself if somebody is the aggressor. And then it it kinda it kinda culminates with he uh gets too like in his head and cocky about this idea that he wants to go and like get revenge on this guy and show everybody that he can take care of himself and kind of, you know, get that cathartic revenge of like, I, you know, you've been bullying me for years and I'm just gonna, you know, the the power fantasy of learning karate and kicking your bully's ass or whatever. And then he goes to school and he starts. He goes and he picks a fight with a the guy. They start fighting. But then he basically just destroys him because he has like these actual martial arts skills that he's learned. But then like the table, the, 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 the mood of the room like shifts hard or it starts out with people kind of cheering him on. But then like it gets dark. And then he starts like, actually like he punches the guy and his nose starts bleeding and then the the like the room turns against him immediately where it becomes like fuck dude like that is bad um and then the the moral of the of the episode is basically just like you know don't just go out like Picking fights or like getting revenge on people because of that, like you you know defend yourself, but you know ultimately take the high road or whatever. And it reminds me of that, like that scene in Growing Pains where he starts fighting the guy and everyone at, at first is like cheering him on, but then like it gets dark and kind of like the room turns and everyone's like, "He's ex- Fuck.
0: yeah." Phoenix Jones is like, exercising some yeah. sort of inner demon. Yeah, as those, those he's, like, videos feel like that. that guy's kneecap in. Yeah, yeah.
1: There, there's a, there's a turning point where you're like, this isn't this isn't watching a A vigilante superhero like take down a criminal this is like watching a dude with some dark shit going on like taking it out on a drunk guy we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night ember hot and icy cold the rage of the earth we made this
0: curse carved it in the blood on our backs We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become?
2: Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass.
0: Yeah, yeah. Benjamin John Francis Fodor was born May 25th, 1988, in Texas. He began reading comic books around the age of 11. He was obsessed with Batman and Nightwing
1: so when you were making this decision in your life to be this guy and to start doing this how big of a role did i mean how conscious were you that you were becoming a a, a comic book character like how conscious was that decision
2: not super conscious of it actually it it happened so slowly um it's just what i it's hard to explain you know when you think of something Mm -hmm. you you imagine what it would be like to be you know you think of it in stages and then when you get to the end you go oh my god i didn't realize how i got here and now that i see i'm here i totally see what made me this way.
0: Jones is the living, breathing embodiment of what so many superhero narratives have told us. He even had their weird incremental progression of a costume that every comic book movie has. He started in just jeans and a ski mask and a t-shirt, and then he was stabbed and built himself a real-life super suit. When asked why he became a superhero for an ESPN interview, Phoenix Jones said this. I realized my window's been broken, and glass has been smashed on the ground down in front of the
2: car, and he's cut himself on it. So I pick my son up, and he just starts gushing blood from his leg. I didn't know how to tell my son that it was going to be safe next time he went out. This wouldn't happen again if I personally couldn't tell him I did something about it.
1: I also like how in he did a he did an interview with uh, with comic tropes, uh, who I guess at some point they were friends. I don't know if they are anymore. But.
0: No, dude, that you know what's great. So if you don't if you're not familiar, comics tropes is a fairly fairly big. A comic book uh, podcast that does stuff on youtube yeah you should go watch their videos they're really cool but chris the guy from comic tropes not to blow up your spot chris but he was secretly one of these rain city superhero guys he he tried to be a real life superhero for like a hot minute oh really and in a in that in the espn video where they're talking about they're talking about what phoenix jones did they interview comics trope chris in it but he's like wearing a he's wearing like a ski mask and he's like what's up yeah i'm a superhero and like phoenix jones is the best of us and i'm like i know your voice bro i've watched your fucking youtube channel (laughs) i know you you. magnificent son of a bitch i've watched your channel
1: (laughs) um but yeah he's i think it's in that interview where he's talking about they're they're basically and it's funny because he's being he's being very self-aware about just the meta strangeness of what he is and what he does um, and he's talking about the fact that or they are talking about the fact that anybody who decides that they want to fight crime so then they make a superhero costume and go out and wear it and try to fight crime is like in is a crazy person like he says that and he specifically says that that's not what he did his the, the path to uh, ultimately what his superhero costume ended up becoming was a was a path of Pragmatism and practicality that he started out just like wearing a ski mask and dark clothes, like basically a what a you know a normal a normal vigilante would dress like um you know just you know for the sake of blending into the darkness and it wasn't until he was shot and stabbed that he through necessity needed a bulletproof and stab proof uh outfit designed. And in that process kind of leaned into making it look like a superhero costume. Um, And I, I just thought that was an interesting, funny little quirk of his thought process that he acknowledges that if you want to become a superhero in real life and dress like a superhero to go fight crime, there's something wrong with you. And yet he can rationalize that he found his way to that in a more circumnavigational, practical way and... Therefore it better it, it more justifies it or it rationalizes it to well, not I think,
0: and, be and that, that kind of that kind of um, look, Ben Fodor, Phoenix Jones, Flat Top, whatever you want to call him, the dude is really smart. Whether you think he's a reliable narrator, that is a completely separate conversation. But the dude's the dude's brilliant. Yeah. And he's aware of every point and counterpoint that people are going to use to try and discredit him or poke holes in his logic systems and so he kind of comes up with all of these stories to shore up various aspects of those weaknesses right it's like you're saying it's almost kind of a sculpture made of these stories to kind of insulate himself um and it makes sense when you think about it why he would do that um you know because all of these stories are really neat and concise and compact and they're they're very tropey you know they're very kind of he he feels like a, a high schoolers version of I'm going to do my version of Batman or I'm going to do my ver. It's 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 fan fiction, but he's like living it out and performing it in this weird professional wrestler kayfabe way. Um, but the thing that makes it really weird is that they all kind of come from this dark place. Details- well, it's inter- it's
1: interesting because it, it he's kind of like he's kind of replicating the way that the like Batman, for instance he's replicating the way that those comics suspend your disbelief uh because i think i think uh the way that the way that the comics especially probably back in the early days um helped readers to uh sympathize with a masked vigilante which at the time was i mean now it's like superheroes are just a part of our pop cultural lexicon but back then it was just like Books about these people who dress in costumes and fight crime, like like literally just vigilantes. a way that they help suspend disbelief is by creating those backstories that insinuate a, a level of pathos that helps you to empathize with them so batman if maybe if Batman was just a guy who dressed like a bat and went around fighting crime, you would just read it and just be like this this is like a fucking psychopath i and and you wouldn't be able to relate with him or or um or empathize with him, but the the backstory it just it just create manufactures that you go like oh like even though he's a fictional character you're like oh I get it like he's doing this because his parents because were his killed mom's and name all this is stuff. Martha yeah and and yes because because his mom's name is Martha and all moms are named Martha and so whenever we know when we hear each other and we know each other's moms are named Martha then that's the ultimate level of it's cathartic empathy it's that we ultimate. can connect on. Um, but, but yeah, it, it just immediately creates that, that narrative ability to suspend your disbelief and immediately accept the concept of what Batman is. And he co-ops that in real life, whether or not that story is true or not, is kind of irrelevant. Uh, and, uh, largely I feel like it probably isn't because another part of the, the origin story that he might not tell every time he tells it, but he's definitely told it. Some of the times he's told it is that the, whoever broke into his car, accidentally left behind a ski mask and that's the ski mask that he wore initially. And there's no way that's true. No, um,
0: zero, zero percent of that is true.
1: But, but it, it kind of doesn't matter either way because, uh, he was smart enough to realize that, Oh, if, if this can help readers suspend their disbelief when reading a comic book, then definitely in real life, If somebody thinks that I, if somebody sees me going around trying to fight crime in a in a superhero costume, their initial reaction is probably going to think that I'm a crazy person, even more so than reading a comic because I'm a real life person. But all I have to do is just add on that story of why I'm doing it. And it immediately diffuses it. Maybe not all the way. Maybe people are still going to be apprehensive, but you've immediately just manufactured empathy with anybody who is observing what you're doing
0: details on phoenix jones's dark past are a little spotty but it appears that ben fodor aka phoenix jones was raised in the foster care system he's the brother of mixed martial artist Carlos fodor however trauma he endured in his childhood seems to have instilled in jones an anger and drive to prove people wrong initially before becoming a real life superhero, this manifested as Phoenix Jones becoming a mixed martial artist, much like his brother, much like a professional wrestler. He fought under a pseudonym, Flat Top. During his initial mixed martial arts career before Phoenix Jones existed, he had this gimmick basically where he was just a straight up mixed martial artist, but he had a giant flat top haircut. And it, I mean, it's like cartoonish, it's like yeah. a foot long or tall it's it's huge yeah he looks like he looks
1: like the that that guy from that like that kid show lazy town who actually recently passed away um but the characters in that show they wear these like weird plastic wigs that make them look like living barbie dolls
0: oh yes 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 yeah 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 um and he so he would fight you know and he he Kind of did the amateur circuit for a while, but he would... And then he kind of pseudo-went pro, I think, a little bit before becoming Phoenix Jones. Um, But he was, like, a, a legit, you know, underground fighter with this really weird, goofy, giant hairdo. So, like, the guy obviously understands branding and creating iconography and developing a persona and embracing kayfabe. Like, he really gets the idea that you can prop yourself up with these stories and people will connect with you more because of that. And then you'll be able to exploit that connection for either money or fame or uh, social justice or literal justice or whatever the various things are. Cause it feels like at different points in time, he had different, very divergent goals with these endeavors.
1: And the re- the really, the really interesting thing and also the really tragic thing is that our boy Phoenix Jones? In a lot of ways, has a shares a lot of similarities with uh, our other boy JJ Arms.
0: Yeah, and, but can you imagine though? It, can we just can we just? Pause? I, I, I'm going to let you finish your thought. But can can you imagine a TV show where it was old JJ Arms mentoring Phoenix Jones right now? It's like Batman Beyond, but with like lying pieces of shit.
1: Not only can I Dude, imagine it, but I'm typing the pilot script off camera right now.
0: I would watch the fuck out of that. The Investigators Incorporated, and it's it's JJ Arms shows up at Ben Fodor's prison cell and he's like, All right, I'm going to give you God and he's gonna save your soul and we're gonna be we're gonna be agents of the investigators. Oh, I
1: mean, I'd fucking love that. I mean, if it was if the show was shot and looked like Nightman Yeah, but yeah, it, yeah, yeah. but it was that
0: 100%. Uh,
1: yeah. Sign me up.
0: Sorry, uh, I didn't mean to derail you.
1: No, 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 it's fine. Uh, but yeah, the the, the, the thing the, the thing about... Th- he shares a lot of similarities, but the key difference and the thing that ends up just being so kind of sad and tragic is that at least up front, at least in the beginning, at least as far as we knew... Uh, Phoenix Jones was like the platonic ideal of what JJ Arms was. He was the real deal. He was everything that JJ Arms was, but he wasn't lying about any of it.
0: And, if, and- you, if you if you haven't listened to the episode, we did an episode about a real-life private investigator from the 1970s who had an accident as a child with dynamite that blew off his hands. And then this man went on to become the most world-famous private detective. He rescued Marlon Brando's son Christian from being held by ransom, held for ransom in um in Mexico and did a, did a bunch of uh high profile Hollywood cases, claimed that he uh you know had 12 14 different attempts on his life, lived in a dilapidated zoo in El Paso with a uh, a, a lion or no, a tiger and a and a chimpanzee and uh, with a helicopter pad and Constructed this elaborate cave around himself, became a minor celebrity in the 1970s, and then it kind of came out that he was lying, and everything about his past and his detective capabilities and his adventures are half truths and lies. And I would weird say probably analogous.
1: third truths.
0: Third truths, yeah. Um, um, but, but he's an interesting guy, and if you want to learn more, you should listen to our episode about yes,
1: J.J. Arms. Is the episode that is right before this one. It's titled "On Your J.J. Arms on Your Feed." Uh, yeah, he. All that being said, uh, they have they they have many similarities. They they are both people that came from uh, some some vague childhood full of trauma. Uh, where they faced a lot of adversity for various reasons and grew up with this complex where they wanted to prove everybody wrong about what they were capable of, and they wanted to be perceived as these altruistic, absolute heroes. And their their backstories sound very similar up to that point, but whereas J.J. Arms tackled that by basically just constructing a facade of a concept for what his life was that he was this hero and he did all these things but it was all just made up it was all it was all this cosmetic show that he was putting on um he
0: literally just put on a gi and then was like i'm a martial arts expert
1: yeah uh phoenix jones at least ostensibly uh, really did all these things. And and a lot of it is true. Like he like, yeah, that's the fascinating thing or the or the or the, or the interesting thing is like he really was a professional uh, MMA fighter. And not only was he not only was he a professional MMA fighter, uh, but also when you look into his career, he actually had a really solid career like he was like he <laughs> he went out of he he retired from the game like with a with a solid record his stats were like really good um i forget i forget uh, the exact numbers it's it's
0: right here jones fought as an amateur mma competitor starting in december of 2006 and competed for four years amassing a record of 15 wins and two losses then he goes on to become uh phoenix jones does the superhero thing for a while falls on hard times needs more money comes back to it Almost kind of as like a sideshow thing Where they kind of like He's like a novelty act But for him he's like Sure I'll get on as a novelty act But then I'll kick ass and really make some money Um, So he comes back in November of 2013 Where Jones made his professional MMA debut During the Cage Warrior Combat promotion Uh, On March 11th of 2015 It was announced that Jones A.K.A. Ben Fodor Would sign an exclusive contract With the World Series of Fighting He then fought in 11 matches during his time professionally competing in the sport. He had a record of 7 wins, 3 losses, and 1 draw. Um, Which is way more than I would do. I mean, that's way more than any of the, the... His record, at least, is a record. Unlike a bunch of the other guys who are kind of these novelty promotions, like the Green Ranger... Was you know Jason David Frank was supposed to wrestle or not wrestle uh, compete at one point? Didn't C C M C M Punk? Didn't they also sign him? And he never competed. Like they have a bunch of people where they're like low level celebrities, actor types that they sign, and then nobody ever actually fights them.
1: Yeah, but yeah, he he was legit. He really did these things, and and also a, a, like we're gonna get into you know the the slow dissent um and discuss the 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 lines of truth and darkness are but in to a certain degree the stuff that he did was real like he he, he, like you said earlier not even to a
0: certain degree it just was
1: yeah yeah well i I mean to up to a certain degree uh, up to a certain time yeah uh it it was it was real like he was like jj arms was pretending like he was out there uh live like basically being James James Bond with hooks for hands fighting crime and you know crawling through the mud and you know taking down groups of fucking uh, spies and things like that and it was all made up uh but but Phoenix Jones he really was out there legitimately fighting crime
0: and it's it's endearing too on one level because He's very inspirational at certain periods of time. Like, he talks a lot about, you know, just being nice to someone is an act of heroism. You know, just giving a homeless person a sandwich is an act of heroism, and it's important to embrace those small acts as well as the bigger ones. And, you know, he this is where you kind of get into the, like, what's true kayfabe aspect of it, where, you know, he says that he was involved in stopping a sex trafficking ring he says that he was involved in stopping a bombing on city hall was he I don't know I mean he's there's some darker stuff later that's really intense that we're gonna get into later that he was a part of um that lends credence to his claims of being involved in stopping and then you know he would also like he's, he talks at length about how he would join white supremacist organizations online and like try and infiltrate the forums and like see what everyone was talking about in case they were gonna you know organize in a harmful way which given the state of our country right now is the most admirable thing you can do right like that's yeah
1: all, all i'm gonna say is we we need we need a well maybe we don't need a phoenix jones maybe that's exactly what we don't need we need something
0: we need something and it's definitely not more cops yeah but we need we need something um but yeah, it's 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 he's a very he's a very fascinating person filled with dualities. Where you in interviews, he's he's simultaneously extremely egotistical and also cripplingly self aware and and almost humble and self loathing almost. Where it's this these these very very distinct polars, polar opposites, like warring within him. Which in all reality, if Batman was real, Bruce Wayne probably would have those same things like. How many comics are about like Bruce Wayne is the persona and he's a dick during the day and he pretends that he dates these models, but he's actually just caring about punching drug dealers in the teeth. Like Phoenix Jones says shit like that. And does he say shit like that because he's read those comics and he's mimicking this platonic ideal supposedly of what it means to be a hero or is he just a fucking crazy person? I I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there definitely is some element of that because like I was saying earlier, you know, I think early on in the early in the in the earlier videos, uh he kind of has this very specific kind of quality to him. He 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 seems very he seems very kind of closed in, kind of unself aware, very, very nerdy, um, very much just like hyper focused on <clears throat> the you know the the details of what it is that he does. He 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 just wants to talk about the specifics of what he does. And how he does it, and you know his ideals, and that's just kind of what he wants to talk about. And he seems very kind of like uncomfortable on camera, and you know, just kind of hiding behind the mask. Whereas in later interviews, he's embodying the mask, and he has that that arrogance, or sometimes that sort of like boy scout confidence to him. And uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I I think it, I think it all depends. I, I, I think as time went on, uh, some of it may have been just hit, like going to his head and becoming cocky because of what he was doing. Uh, but
0: I mean, I think there's definitely there's, a component of that. Where yeah. But,
1: you, but the you other just beat
0: up a random guy on the street and then you're like, I'm amazing.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think there's definitely an element of that, but then there's also another element of, uh, you know, he just started to more and more realize that embodying the persona and 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 you know, becoming that character was kind of part of what he was trying to do. Uh, you know, no nobody's gonna be scared of a dude who, when he's sitting in an interview, seems like this very like introverted, nerdy guy. Uh, but if they see, you know, somebody, somebody going on the news and just seeming like this cocky, arrogant, uh, all-star hot shot guy, uh, you know, that that lends to the Legitimacy of him as this hero.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because that attitude, I think, at a certain point, kind of gets him in trouble. You know that th- he reaches this apex with his character arc, where he, the 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 level of the level of kind of self belief and overconfidence, mm-hmm. you know, it it, may, it catches up with him in that he gets into a he gets into a brawl with somebody down in Seattle. They're drunk. They're walking around. He gets into a fight with them. And he pepper sprays the guy out of self-defense, but the guy, the drunk guy, presses charges against him. And so it goes to court and the judge threatens to or the no, the, the district attorney threatens to out his identity. So, much like a comic book. Yeah, it's liter- it's
1: literally just the scene from the end of the first Iron Man movie.
0: Yep. Like- or the scene, or the scene from Civil War where Spider-Man reveals his mask, or the scene from uh Daredevil, where he reveals his secret identity, like it's it's the same scene where they're just like, guess what, I'm the guy, and he takes off his helmet in in you know out in front of the courthouse in Seattle and says, you know, my name is is Ben Fodor, um, you know, I'm this is my my secret identity, uh, and uh, I won't be put in place for this charge, like this is bullshit, whatever, um, and. Unfortunately, that's kind of the not the beginning of the end, but the beginning of everything unraveling.
1: Yeah, I I love the uh, I love the reasoning that he gave in the interview for why he wore the costume to his court appearance and then why he revealed his secret identity um, after in that he wore the costume during, during his trial because he was being put on trial specifically because of the costume. If he had just been a normal guy who had been defending himself and pepper sprayed uh, somebody, uh, you know, this wouldn't be happening. He was specifically being attempted to be made some kind of example of. They were hyper-focusing on him and singling him out specifically because they're like, we're going to, we're going to fuck with this costume vigilante guy to, you know, show the, other, the rest of them that they need to stop, which is once again, something that is happening now currently and is very relevant to events that are going on in real life currently. Um, but he revealed his secret identity after the court appearance because he said that while he was being put on trial because of wearing the costume, the man underneath the costume was the one that was being affected by it. Uh, so even that he tried to turn into this big symbolic, um uh, meta narrative of yeah, what the duality yeah, of, the duality of what the, what the costume and then the man underneath the costume represented, which I thought was super fascinating. Also in that video where he's being interviewed on TV about this, I don't know if you remember, I don't know when the last time you watched this was, but why is the guy in the, the, the guy in the video that he's talking to is literally like a, a character from, he's also like a character from a comic book.
2: Well, here's the problem, and listen, Phoenix, I love what you do, I think you're a courageous man and we want to see you around for a long time, and it's for that reason that you have to stop doing it. I think the DA has a couple of problems here. Number one is that it's a deterrent effect, and what the prosecution wants to do, look, you don't have adequate equipment to do it, there's a training issue, and there's the, the fact that there's not legal authority to do it. Furthermore, whenever you inject yourself into an issue, there's always the problem that could get worse, and that is people can misconstrue intentions, people, it can escalate the situation, and it's for that reason wow. that the DA has to take a stand. Now, I'm not saying what there should be life right in prison without parole, <laughs> but at the same time, there needs to be some type of uh, assessment done by the DA so that other copycats All don't right. come out here and we have a lawless society. I'm going to
1: let... The, the, that, he's a criminal defense attorney, yeah. but he's, li- he's literally like a comic book character.
0: And the crazy thing about that too is that you know that they cast that dude. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like he—he he, he didn't just accidentally, randomly get a fast-talking New York Long Island black dude who's like really good with words, but also really charismatic. Like that guy had went through so many auditions for that thirty-second spot on yeah. uh, Phoenix Jones. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't be doing this no more. Okay, I love you, I love you, but you can't be doing this no more. It's fascinating though to me. To see the conversation around policing shift so hard, you know what I mean like even in that you know in that little interview, you know the the defense attorney called out the the red angels, right is that what they're called the red angels the there's a group of people that are urban vigilantes in New York in the 1970s that were mm-hmm. red berets, and they basically were an organized community-focused safety brigade where they would walk people to their trains. They would hang out in the train stations because in the 1970s, New York was really dangerous. They would stop drug dealers from dealing drugs. They would beat up drug dealers. Um, They would stop people from graffitiing. You know, just kind of a, in some ways, the platonic ideal of, like, community policing without the problematic, like, 1984 Orwellian, like, everyone spying on each other overtones. Mm Mm-hmm um and it's interesting because those the politically motivated and the the thing about the 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 red angels or whatever the fuck they were called that's so crazy is like the main guy who started it was this kind of like very ben Fodor, uh uh phoenix jones-esque you know very idealistic very physically large imposing guy who got in a lot of fights who wanted to help protect people in his neighborhood but the thing that took the red angels to the next level was the fact that a supermodel got involved in their, in their political organizing efforts and she like married the main guy and like helped them to catapult them onto a global stage. And like they were in a bunch of they're still a political organization or you know not they're not political organization. they're, they're still a whatever you want to call it, the, the, the good version of a gang, I guess, I don't know, a bunch of people who care about the neighborhood who try and protect innocent people. Um, and like, she really catapulted them to the next level. There's a really good documentary about them on Amazon, which I'm now blanking the name of, but we'll put it in the show notes or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, it, the idea of vigilantism and individuals self-policing is simultaneously something that's very, very topical currently, and also super fucking dangerous.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, not that it, uh, I think we would have still been talking about similar things if we had recorded this episode, you know, two months ago or whatever. We would have still been talking about these things. These aren't just random things that we're suddenly aware of now because of what's happening. But certainly the tone is just dramatically shifted, uh, you know, based on what's going on now. Um as these yeah, things because, are just
0: because this this same at the tip type of our tongues. Of, yeah absolutely. But this, this,
1: yeah, well, the, just you know the, that that's that's the that's the really creepy thing about Phoenix Jones really reflecting on it now with what's transpired over the last couple weeks is, you know, in a lot of ways like his entire philosophy about what he did, like he was ba- he was basically Rorschach. This this idea of unrelenting, unshakable dedication to uh you the know, the 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 platonic idea of justice. And he said it multiple times. He, you know, he he you know, when you listen to multiple interviews of somebody, they always have their canned responses of the things that they always say. You hear it one time and you're like, oh, that was kind of like a clever thing to say, or that was kind of like an interesting thing to say. And then you hear more interviews and you're like, oh he just he has that script memorized and one thing that he's one thing that he says a lot is his whole thing about you know my job is to uphold the laws that the citizens voted on and that is his unshakable truth is there are laws that exist in society they are frequently broken and it doesn't seem like the police are able to uphold those laws to uh to an acceptable level so my job is to go out there skip the red tape skip the you know the bureaucratic mess that the police system has to sort of operate within and just cut right to the heart of the matter and exact or aid in exacting that justice um in a much more nimble and effective way and i'm just out there facilitating the upholding of the laws that the public the greater public voted on and you know the creepy thing about that is that that platonic ideal that he bases his entire philosophy on doesn't really exist um that's not real there there's there there is there is no objective concept of justice it is, it is not a black or white issue. It, it It is, it is much more nuanced than that. And it you can't, you can't wrestle it into submission like he, you know, kind of thought he could.
0: Well, that's the, and that's also the, the interesting thing is that this, this same ideal, this, I, as an individual want to make sure that the people around me are safe. That's the, that's the kernel of the emotional nugget. That idea st- has been mangled and twisted and turned a hundred different ways. That same idea, I mean, that same idea is the core idea of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But that also is the idea that George Zimmerman used when he fucking murdered Trayvon Martin.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's like, the flaw with with uh, vigilantism as a concept is you know one man's justice is another man's crime or or the other way around. Uh, you know to the logical extremes of you know your idea of justice and why you might want to go out and be a mass vigilante is because you want to stop people from selling drugs and you want to go and and you know kill the pedophile that was allowed to walk the streets free after they've done these horrible crimes or whatever but then another person's idea of justice is like that they just think that an entire race of human beings should be eradicated from the fucking earth. Like yeah. like it's just it, it's 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 which it's,
0: is which is why we have a system of courts that, you know, people are tried by a jury of their peers in theory. And why we have judges that oversee these and attempt to mitigate bigotry and and instill the closest thing that we can come to to an objective An objective sense of truth the issue being that because humans are flawed and systems designed by humans are flawed that it doesn't actually work that way because money and power and affluence and race and class and gender all of these mitigating factors warp and 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 break these systems that we've designed to try and mitigate our own internal um, disagreements with each other you know that they've it just doesn't work that way which is yeah which is why, why you, yeah okay, which good. is why you get which is why you get vigilantes because you get people who are upset about the fact that the systems that we've designed are inherently going to end up being corrupted and so they want to work outside of those systems but that in and of itself is a corruption
1: yeah and also like like i said before the uh, phoenix jones's idea of upholding the system that is supposed to be in place more effectively and efficiently than the you know American justice system or the Seattle justice system could uh is is based on a fallacy basically because that very system is non-functional flawed and broken so you know the, the idea of like upholding the laws that the citizens voted for is just based on flawed logic because as we see time and time again just because something is I mean this, before 20 what was it 2018 or 2019 before 20 whatever it was what, the last couple of, I forget the time is a blur now but on one side of that year you could go to fucking prison for 20 years for possessing marijuana with the intent to sell. And then after that year, suddenly it's it's legal. Like that, like the, the idea of upholding laws voted on by the public is just flawed because as we see that's that's the that's the mildest example, the marijuana example. That's the mildest example. There there are so many institutionalized systemic uh things built into our society that from an objective standpoint you could say like this was this is officially something that is accepted and acknowledged by the system that is morally and ethically repugnant and should not be blindly and loyally upheld by anybody.
0: Yeah, and, it, and the, the inherent dichotomy right there is that he claims to be upholding the system where, in fact, he's just factually working outside of that system, which is undermining the system. Um, which is part of, again, that duality of A, superhero comics, and B, just being a human. Like, I feel like so many things about being a person comes with that duality of conflicting ideals and diametrically opposed ideology that is just born into you. You know, like, you're alive, but at one point, you're gonna die. Like, just even that primary of ones and zeros, where you have to reconcile the fact that you... You weren't here and now you are here and there will be a day where you will not be here again is like an existential horror to some people that I don't even know if they're even aware of, you know, but they lash out and they have these addictions and they go through these, these traumas based off of those, that simple one and zero of I'm here, but I wasn't always here and I'm not going to be here eventually.
1: Yeah, the, the, the oscillation, but like the, the quick oscillation between simultaneously trying to comprehend all three of those things simultaneously.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like this is probably a good time for us to take an act break. Act two, the funny papers, they ain't funny no more. So during this time period, before we started having this long, in-depth conversation, we were at the point where he has unmasked publicly. During this time period, Jones had financial troubles and returned to the life of an MMA fighter that he had previously abandoned in order to pursue crime fighting. There's a narrative trope surrounding superheroes that their alter ego is their true self, meaning Superman is the real person and Clark Kent is the persona. Batman is the real personality. Bruce Wayne is a costume. Jones has taken this narrative trope and chosen to internalize it. He views his true nature as Phoenix Jones, even talking about him in the third person occasionally. He discusses his time as an MMA fighter, Flat Top, as another distinctly separate personality as well. So the question is Phoenix Jones, Ben Fodor, or Flat Top? Which of these ciphers is the real man?
2: Well, not only do I look really different, it doesn't even seem like the Flat same person hurts people, right? But then on the other hand, you've got this guy who's out there helping people for no apparent reason, hiding his true identity. And then in the middle, you got a guy who does a little bit of both, where he's a guy who watches autistic kids for a living and on the same coin, you know, protects them to make sure that nothing bad happens to them. So you have to ask yourself, who's the real person in, in all that? Who hides behind that? And, and that's what no one's gonna get because, because I had to be in this package. The police basically like opened up the package.
1: Well, they just, they didn't really open it up. They right? opened
2: it up. By putting my real name out there, they opened it up. Because you're all of a sudden. But we have to don't explain. know any more
0: about Ben Fodor than we do about Phoenix Jones.
2: No, but you know there's two sides to one person though. Before there was just Jones. Now there's Jones and there's the spider guy. And there has to be an explanation for it. People want to know the difference.
0: From my perspective, it really feels like, unfortunately for Phoenix Jones, Ben Fodor is the real guy, and he really, really wants to be Phoenix Jones. And Flat Top was something that he' tried to do and was kind of like not all that successful with. Um, and I, I would love to be able to say that like, I I really think Phoenix Jones is the real guy and he stands for truth, justice and everything, but <sighs> feet of clay, feet of clay.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the breakdown point where he isn't Rorschach. Cause that, that was Rorschach's whole thing is like, he is the mask. Like he's not a and person. He, it's
0: zero, zero compromise. Everything yeah. is black and white. He's, Uncompromising in his dedication to his ideals. Yeah. And but
1: in real life, the, it's, it's impossible to the, do that. Yeah, in real the, life. He, the human element will always taint the experiment. It, it, it's, it's impossible to have that level of absolute lack of compromise.
0: Phoenix Jones, in many ways, acted as a call to arms for people in the Seattle area. He even went so far as to found an organization to assist these would be superheroes in said organization. In July of 2011, Jones founded the Rain City Superhero Movement. Think of them as the Justice League for frumpy middle-aged dudes who just really love Deadpool. They patrolled the First and Pike areas of Seattle, providing help and assistance for anybody who was in need. From small acts of kindness like helping to feed the homeless to assisting in passing out flyers marked with the description of local wanted criminals. However, many of the individuals involved weren't quite as serious as Jones.
1: This is what's so fascinating to me about this. Like it's funny cuz doing this episode and reading the script and stuff uh was was crazy. It was kind of like it was it was cognitive dissonance because I was aware of and following Phoenix Jones like back during this time. Like I remember in 2011 when he was like a superhero and like new stories were coming out about him and stuff like that like learning about him and being very fascinated about him and kind of reading up about it and then after that just kind of falling off and forgetting about him and moving on so then like reading this and being and seeing the third act of this that happened while i stopped paying attention was really crazy um but i remember uh being really inundated with him and and reading up about him and watching these videos and things like that back then and it's so funny. It's the, the thing that is so fascinating and was to me and also so funny to me is how like these videos and these other heroes that were part of this organization. Like it reminds me of Mystery Men, like the the audition sequence whenever they're auditioning new heroes. And they're just all these like half baked cockamamie heroes come in and like fucking Dane Cook has a cameo and. They, they all have these stupid made up powers or whatever like this. It is like the perfect example of life imitating art because it's exactly like that.
0: Yeah, it, it's and it's kind of sad, too, because you, you can tell that Phoenix Jones wanted this to be a rallying cry and to really turn this conversation from there's a guy who is crazy into, oh, this is a real movement and there are people doing this and it's a legitimate thing. And he starts this organization to basically try and find his own Justice League.
1: But whereas in the movies and comics, you have the sequence where you have the tryouts and there's a hundred crazy people. And then like you,
0: you whittle them down, you you carve, you you, you,
1: you carve away the marble and find the statue underneath. And there's like those five people who are hiding in the background who are just like, oh, th- these people are the real deal. Here's our team. In real life, it's all crazy people. There's no, <laughs> that's not a thing. There's the the other people don't exist. When you when you when you when you when you inhabit when you when you when you live within a community of people who uh want to be masked superheroes, you are the outlier as somebody who is actually serious about it and genuinely committed to trying to so- stop crimes. Everybody else is are just crazy, delusional people.
0: Like he tells this story about a guy named the Platypus who joined the Rain City superhero movement, who to make a long story short, they were being shot at by some people. And the guy stood up and started like wincing and holding his hands out. And Phoenix Jones was like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm making a psychic force field to protect us. And Phoenix Jones is like, "What the fuck? Get the fuck down, man! You're gonna get shot." And he goes, "Oh no, don't worry, I'll be fine. I'm gonna go attack them, though. Well, with what? You don't have any weapons. Oh no, I have bags of my own urine." And he ran at these dudes, throwing bags of his own urine at them.
1: They were balloon. They were water balloons.
0: Water balloons. Water balloons of his own human waste.
1: And the thing in the interview, Phoenix Jones talks about how he kind of like. Realized why the guy thought he had a force field and it was because he was practicing with a gun trying to hit targets and he like couldn't, he kept missing and then he realized that he had some kind of force field that was throwing off the gravitational pull of the bullets and so he asked his friend to shoot him and then his friend shot him and he didn't get shot and so then and there he realized that he had a bullet Deflecting force field. But in reality, Phoenix Jones was able to read between the lines and realize that this dude just like was a horrible aim and couldn't hit the targets. And then his friend was also a horrible aim. And he just had this insanely lucky moment where he asked somebody to shoot him. And the person was just such a bad shot that they missed him entirely. And that if that person had been anywhere near a like a decent shot he would just be fucking dead right now but because the guy missed him he just got it in his head that he had a magical force field
0: i love it i love it so much (laughs) i love it i mean not to make someone make fun of someone who's obviously very mentally ill but also i love it that's so good And it's, it's interesting, too, because like during this time period, Phoenix Jones, I, in some ways, I kind of feel like this was his peak, you know, in that he had the most kind of social cachet. He was doing these TV interviews. He had just left the MMA. So he was like people knew that he knew his shit. People knew that they knew people knew that he was a mixed martial artist who is an urban vigilante now. And he had this small clique of people. And he ended up meeting his longtime girlfriend who works under the name Purple Rain r-e-i-g-n because you know what's awesome about being a superhero is having a pun for your name yep that's pretty dope so they start dating and she ends up kind of you he says in in interviews and stuff that they kind of had a somewhat of this friction between them where, where understandably she was like dude what the fuck are you doing? You don't need to go patrol every night. And he was just obsessed with it and driven, and would literally go out on the street, dressed like a superhero, and patrol downtown Seattle every night. Yeah, for
1: like three years, just for three years. seven nights, seven days a week.
0: <laughs> and so she kind of, I think she ends up getting burnt out on it. And I think also he was more of a comics person. Like I, and I don't even know how much of a comics person he was. I feel like he read comics he was a kid and then drifted away from it and then really got into it because of the movies and then went back and started reading some of the comics to have like in air quotes street cred. I don't I don't ever really think that she read comics, which is fine. She doesn't have to if she wants to be an urban vigilante. She gives either.
1: that she gives that answer that every uh actor gives when they're being interviewed when they're in a superhero movie and they're like, "Did you re- grow up reading the comics?" and they're like, "Uh, you know, I I I uh I read I I read some of the comics when I was a kid, but I really just kind of like got back into it in preparation for this role and you can tell like they literally never read the comic before and if anything they skimmed through a couple comics to get to prepare for the role um and that's the that's the answer that she gives in the interviews (laughs) like that literal exact thing that i hear like every actor say
0: completely but you know what like i i relate more with her than him like she's kind of like yeah, I went out on the streets for a while, and then it got really dangerous. And I was like, you know what? I kind of feel like my efforts are better served for community organizing and starting a nonprofit about women who to help women who've been in, uh, in emotionally abusive or physically abusive relationships. And like- yeah, her
1: thing felt feels or felt more like it just a, a symbolic thing. Like I don't, I don't think she ever actually wanted to be a real superhero. I think it was just like she was mostly just a glorified cosplayer, and. Yeah it was a symbolic thing
0: which is funny though because she's done because she's done more work in the community than him because she uses the existing systems that are available of like 501c3 nonprofits and organizing large groups of people and to do actual legislative change and like he's a dude who goes and punches people
1: yeah yeah so yeah just just by virtue of dating slash being married to him uh you know she was more involved with that aspect of it than i think she ever would have been on her own.
0: And, and at a certain point she kind of transitions. So they started out patrolling together and then she basically is like, bro, you, you really want to do this? And he's like, I got to keep doing this five, seven days a week. So she kind of transitions into being more of like an Oracle style character where she like listens to police radio scanners and like gives him reports and dossiers about various, you know, ne'er-do-wells in the community and like helps him collect information about criminal activities that, the police department's release and stuff. Um,
1: There's a specific moment in an interview that really speaks volumes to that whole dynamic of like she really wasn't into the actual superhero stuff, and it was more just a symbolic thing of like I'm going to do something eccentric to try to draw attention to a cause. Where they're they're in, they're in, they're in an interview and they're talking about their suits and all these things, and she it, she's really passionate about explaining the concept behind her persona and what it means and what it stands for and the causes that she's trying to speak out for or against but then when it comes to the actual specifics of the suit she's like yeah my our suits are made out of uh do you want to tell them and then phoenix just goes into the yeah it's made out of this polymorph th- material that like when you when you touch it it's soft and when you hit it it gets hard like and it's just this total like just tell them about the thing. I don't care. Like, I don't care what this material is. I don't care about any of this stuff. Like, you, you know, you want to tell them, just tell them.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, they, they kind of do this, this thing for a couple of years where they're, they're both involved in the rain city superhero movement and they're both active in the community and they both give interviews for like the BBC and CNN and Fox news where they kind of are this sideshow novelty act for a, you know, a minute um and then and around this time is when he like supposedly is involved in stopping the sex trafficking ring and he alert, alerted um the authorities in in Seattle to a potential bombing and and stopped a man from fleeing a crime scene that where he, the man had you know stabbed someone um and apparently like you know he's contributed to multiple arrests like Yeah I think
1: he I, I forget the I forget the last digit of the number but according to him he had 187 confirmed arrests attributed to him.
0: Again, who knows how much of that is true. It
1: was 180-something. I, I forget the last digit, but it was definitely 180-something.
0: Who knows how much of that is true, but I believe that way more than I believe anything that fucking J.J. Arms has said ever. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's way more of an element of truth to his stuff than because than, J.J. Arms' stuff was just 100% made up. It was yeah, just. I mean, it was even, just a even character. Even
0: if he was eighteen, even if he contributed yeah. to eighteen arrests, that's still really impressive. You know how many people I've helped arrest? Zero. You know how many people I'm going to help arrest? Zero. Like it's just not something that's going to happen in my life yeah. ever, and not really a goal of mine to yeah. be honest.
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, the, and the 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 thing about the the thing about it is like when you when you hear that you're like, oh, he was responsible for 187 arrests. That sounds. You, you you conjure images of him chasing down villains and apprehending them and, you know, the thing that you see in comic books and stuff like that where Spider-Man chases down a bad guy and gets him caught in his, in his web and then the police show up and he's strung between two buildings like hanging by the web with a sign that says you're welcome or whatever. In reality, what we're, what we're talking about when we say arrests is that essentially he spots some kind of thing going on, typically a drug deal, uh, sometimes a more serious violent crime of somebody fleeing a scene of a fight or something like that. And literally what he does is just film it. Has his he, he walks around with a crew and he has a cameraman with him at all times. They film the drug deal, the faces of the dealers, all that stuff. And then they call the police. That's it. Sometimes in certain situations, if he's feeling physically threatened, he'll bring out the pepper spray and pepper spray the person. Sometimes he has actually contributed to apprehending the person. But most of the time, what he's talking about when he says arrest is he films, he, he gets something caught on camera. And then he calls the police, provides them with the footage and the locations of things. And they arrest, they find and arrest the person. And then he counts that as he contributed to a confirmed arrest.
0: I mean, it's still admirable.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm it's just cool. saying. I'm just saying. That's why you know, and he and he was he's honest about that. He does he he didn't like exaggerate it and act like he didn't allow people to believe or think those comic book esque visions of what he meant by arresting people. He was very open and honest about what the reality of that meant. He he was he was very open about that being the process of what he did. Um so when you talk about the differences between you know like a JJ Arms or whatever um up until a certain point and to a certain degree Phoenix Jones was transparent about the reality of what he did so a lot of the things that he you know said he did number 1 can kind of be proven to a certain degree and number 2 are much more believable because he was very transparent about the reality of them
0: Thanks to the increased media circus around his exploits, his secret identity being revealed, and the various court cases he is involved in around this time, Phoenix Jones became something of a local celebrity within Seattle, which quickly became something more. He was invited to go to the premiere of the James Gunn film Super, where, you know, superheroes in real life play a major role in the film. He, uh, he, I feel like every X amount of time, he also, like, breaks out that photo of him with... Rain Johnson and uh, and James Gunn. Like I feel like anytime anybody's like, there was a period of, of time where he was on Twitter and people were like dogging on him and shit, and he would just reply with that photo. Um, or at least that's my memory of it. Yeah. Um, he was also featured in multiple TV spots, which kind of reminds
1: music. me of it. Kind of reminds me of how Sophia Stewart always like pulls out that picture of her with, um, <laughs> with Lawrence Fishburne. With at Lawrence a party. Fishburne of like we He friends. obviously has no idea who yeah. she is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, no, 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 it's cool, cool, it's cool. James Gunn and and Rain Johnson, they know who I am, it's cool.
1: It's Rain (laughs) Wilson.
0: Rain Wilson, Rain Wilson, what? Oh, because I'm thinking of Ryan Johnson (laughs) from Star Wars, very different. Around this time, he's featured on multiple TV spots, news interviews, and podcasts. However, the focus of these pieces is rarely, let's all be better as a culture, which is the desired result of a superhero. It was usually, look at this guy in a hero suit, do dumb shit.
1: Yeah, I mean what a what a misuse of a platform on both ends. Uh, cuz you because yeah. you as as entertaining as the interviews and the podcasts are, he just he number one, he's being sort of used as, as a spectacle of just like this guy's weird. And number two uh, on for his part, he just tells like stories about how cool he is. Um which he he could have used that platform for so much more. Uh he could have talked about issues, he could have brought attention to things he could have shouted out you know organizations to donate to and things like that and I'm sure he did to certain shades but by and large a lot of what I heard is you know just him telling admittedly very entertaining stories uh but you know just him kind of bragging and talking about what he does and going into details of interesting or funny or cool stories um very surface level for you know, what he could have done with that platform, especially considering what he purported to care about and find important.
0: This cultural fascination with real life superheroes reached its fever pitch within the Seattle area as a comedian taking up an extended performance art piece pretended to be phoenix jones's arch enemy super named rex velvet the guy posts a youtube video where he's like basically shit talking phoenix jones and like he's wearing a bowler hat with a fake mustache and a monocle and he's like basically making fun of the fact that phoenix jones is trying to do these things by playing the part of a super villain
1: my dear city i can recall a time when i could leave this lair and conduct my duties proudly and without distraction he's out there along with his silly gang of misfit
2: power rangers disturbing the peace how things have changed now our city is protected not by our once respected police force but by a tormented delusional freak in a mask
1: how did this happen the rain city superhero movement must disintegrate for far too long we've watched as our nation buys into its childish charade and it's run its course it's time to get real jones the community would be better off
2: without you you're doing more harm than good and i'm willing to bet that a sensible sane majority would agree with me my name is rex Veldt, the people's villain if you will
1: phoenix jones you have met your match part of this is really kind of funny and interesting performance art But then part of it is just kind of like kind of sad because, uh, you know, if you if you look into that whole period with Rex Velvet, like nobody played ball with him. Like he just he tried to get a thing going and just got ignored like Phoenix Jones, none of the other heroes, nobody ever acknowledged him. He never he just kind of like posted a bunch of one sided videos that got no response.
0: Yeah. And it's it's funny, too, because it's one of those things where like, I think that could have been something that they both could have used to varying degrees where Phoenix Jones could have been like, why are you doing this? You fucking clown. We're actually out here trying to help people and save lives. And you're sitting in a green screen studio with a fake mustache. Fuck you. And that in and of itself would have helped create a perpetual machine where their beef would have been a story that they then both could have catapulted off of it to use in other ways. Um, But also, Phoenix Jones got his desired effect in that nobody really paid attention to Rex Velvet. Yeah. Ultimately, Jones felt the public didn't understand what he was attempting to accomplish.
2: Like, I don't think that people are the way that I thought they were originally. It kind of broke how I feel about the whole world in general. Can, Can you be a little bit more
0: specific? I mean, you said people have let you down. They're not the way that you originally thought they were. I mean, what mean, what, what what did you think people were and in, in what do you think they are now?
2: Man, such a good question. It, it's hard to explain when the world shifts from black and white to color. Like, like I don't know how to explain that. Like, you ever seen you ever seen The Wizard of Oz? Oh, yeah. Like, for me, I have had several, like, Wizard of Oz moments where the world just just shifts. You know, like, I, I've done a whole, my whole life has been about making a balance that I understand. You know, like, a, a balance to make things... sorry.
1: That's okay. Take your
2: time. A balance to make things make sense, you know? And I've seen a lot of stuff on the streets. And in the end, there's not a balance. It doesn't make sense. There's nothing you can do to make it better.
0: It's all climaxed with Jones bearing witness to a woman named Nicole being murdered in broad daylight.
2: Like Nicole died. There's no way you can change that. You know, I was there. I watched it happen. I've seen it happen on the streets. I've seen what people do to each other. And I live with it every day. Every day I see horrible, horrible things that I saw. And I think to myself, you know, well, I made a difference. But I didn't make a difference. It didn't make a difference. The difference was supposed to be the people who saw it being inspired to not act this way anymore. And we have not gotten that lesson. We didn't get it at all. The shots, the stabbings, the bullets, it wasn't worth it. No one got it. Maybe I stopped each individual individual situation. But people were supposed to get better. You're talking about Nicole Westbrook, 2012. That's that. You know, there you go. Woman dies and they just run away. (laughs) And that's it. And the weird part too is I remember sitting on the sidewalk. I remember sitting there, I remember just like waiting. And uh, so they take the the person away and then the cops go away and they take the stupid yellow tape away. And you're just kind of sitting there and then I didn't know they actually did this. Like, but a bit of fire truck comes by, and then they just wash all the blood down the drain, and then everybody's life just goes back to normal. Everybody just goes to work. I remember just sitting there watching. Everybody going to work. And I'm thinking, my whole life changed right here, and y'all are just going back to work. It just
1: doesn't matter,
0: man. Super. I mean, it's heart. That audio is heartbreaking. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's just that's just a that's a man just losing his faith on. on audio yeah like yeah like, like
0: regardless of if you regardless of what your feelings are for him as a potential example of this ideal of vigilantism regardless of if you think it's fucking stupid that he wears a superhero costume regardless of if he did any positive things over his few years as phoenix jones this guy witnessed someone be murdered and tried to help and just it just destroyed him. It just destroyed him.
1: Yeah. And he talks about the, the very, the, the, the biggest, most impactful part of it. And the most sort of vivid um, <clears throat> image that he, that he kind of conjures is this idea of sort of seeing that process from uh, beginning to end, seeing somebody murdered on the streets and, you know, the body just lying in the street and then the cops and the, in the ambulance is coming and, Taking away the body and then talking about how, you know, a a cleaning crew showing up and spraying the street down and within the within the the process of like an hour or less going from somebody, a life being taken and just wiped off the face of the earth to as if nothing had ever happened. Nothing is there. People just walking by you know passers-by walking through the area stepping in the place where the body had just been 40 minutes ago and having no idea that any of that happened um and uh I, I actually remember a teacher from when I was in high school talking about a similar thing where she visited New York City and saw somebody I don't think she witnessed it happen but she saw a place where somebody had jumped out of a window and committed suicide and how she had kind of saw that there was a body there and there was police and a perimeter set up and ambulances and stuff. And then within the span of like an hour or whatever, they had taken the body away. They had cleaned it up and everything was gone. It was as if nothing ever happened and there was just foot traffic walking through the place where there had just been a dead guy. Um, And that, that just fundamentally changed him sitting sitting there on the on the sidewalk, just looking around, thinking about how people were walking through business as usual meanwhile his entire life was different from that moment on um and yeah it's like it's 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 super like you said it's super heartbreaking to hear that recording of just hearing a person losing their belief system um and, and especially
0: I and I, one especially one that is so rigid
1: yeah exactly and it's and I think it's people who have such rigid belief systems that it's easier and more traumatic when it breaks um than somebody who you know is maybe a little bit more in tune with the uh nuances of of uh our human condition um that might be a little less devastating to somebody uh than than somebody who is so laser focused on this ideal of objective uh Justice. Justice. And and I think that that, you know, kind of alluding back to what I said, you know, in the beginning, I think that the reason why that sort of affected him as much as it did, not that it wouldn't affect anybody, not that it wouldn't affect me in the same way. I think that I would probably be pretty fucked up by seeing somebody murdered. Um, But I think that the reason why it, as we'll come to learn, the why it broke him is because of the fact that, you know, in in the same way that, you know... he was so he's he's a super smart guy. And I think from his perspective, uh, as I think a lot of people who are really smart, uh, technically smart, uh, kind of think about things as processes and systems and mathematics. And if I I understand this from a technical standpoint, and I know that if I do X, Y and Z, I will get this result. And I think that he thought about it like that. And I think he thought about if I have this training and I learn all of these pieces of information about the law and I, do, and I have these sets of rules for what I do when I'm patrolling and I do X, Y, and Z, I will get this result. This is the result that I will, that I will get from this mathematical equation that I've worked out. And because he was so technically smart and so focused on that formula, Sometimes whenever people are smart like that and whenever they see things in such a rigid mathematical way, they can be blind to the kind of canopy of un, uh the, the, the canopy of variables that cannot be accounted for. And whenever those things creep up on them and they're blind to them, whenever they kind of whenever the other shoe drops and those things, uh, like I said before, uh, completely taint the experiment uh people like that it it shatters their reality basically
0: and because of that shattering of reality this is where phoenix jones decides to hang up the cowl and retire his crime fighting persona <laughs> Act three, freedom isn't really all it's cracked up to be. However, that's not where our story ends. On January 29, 2020, Ben Fodor, AKA Phoenix Jones, was arrested for selling MDMA and cocaine to an undercover narcotics agent. After members of the local community alerted law enforcement that Fodor had transitioned into a life of illicit distribution, the Seattle Police Department arranged a sting operation. Initially, Venmoing Fodor $300 as a down payment, an undercover officer met him and exchanged $200 additional for a bag of molly. Then, attempting to escalate the situation, the officer attempted to initiate purchase of cocaine. This ultimately resulted in a similar transaction where Fodor sold the officer the illegal drug in question. Additionally, at the time of his arrest, Fodor had eight traffic violations for driving without a license. His current girlfriend, Andrea... Baronson? Is that what that
1: looks like yeah. to you? Baronson? Also, I mean we did we didn't mention it, but yeah, him and Purple Rain got divorced. Right. I mean, there's a whole yeah. there's a whole little segment that is kind of not really mentioned in here where, you know, up to this point, up up to and also after he gets busted for selling drugs, he basically has a falling out with his entire support system. Uh he he you know, he he had the Rain City superheroes, which is a team of all these different Matt costumed heroes, but he had basically two mainstays in his life, both personally, as well as a part of his superhero uh, organization. And it was purple rain, which was his wife. And then his, his other, I guess it doesn't, it never explicitly says this, but I guess his best friend. Um, I don't know if it was his best friend, but it was, it was somebody, it was another masked hero that had basically been with him Fighting alongside of uh, alongside him on nightly patrols with him from day one, uh, and his name his name was El Caballero, and he was a he was a uh, a racially problematic superhero character who was a white dude who dressed with like a luchador mask and then a sombrero, and uh, his name in was Seattle yeah, in
0: Seattle,
1: <laughs> and his name was El Caballero, and he basically slowly over time. After after the death of of uh, the woman that he witnessed and his so, sort of slow descent into nihilism, I guess is what you could say. Um, he has a falling out with all of these people and the Rain City superheroes basically get disbanded. But more importantly, he splits with his wife and uh, to take a brief detour from the darkness of this... <laughs> I really wanted to bring this up the reason the reason for his falling out with El Caballero is because El Caballero accused him of stealing his sombrero. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which is hey like bro, bro, if you hey bro, have you seen my cap have you seen my, my sombrero? Did I leave it at your place? No, man, it's not here. Are you sure? I feel like I left it at your place. Dude, I don't have your sombrero. I don't have your sombrero.
1: Which is like as I said earlier, like that is something straight out of mystery men. Like that that, that
0: is I can't you stole my fucking sombrero, Ben! I know you did,
1: Ben. And that is why they had a falling out. Uh, but also uh, in addition to sort of having a falling out, basically all these previous allies, all these other masked superheroes and friends and parts of his support system, uh, they start coming out and basically be, you know, releasing their hit pieces of like, Phoenix Jones isn't what he portrays himself as. Here's the real story of Phoenix Jones. Here's my personal, you know, uh, experiences with Phoenix Jones. And a lot of people start coming out and saying, you know, he's an asshole. He's a fraud he uh he you know he's a different person than what he presents himself as uh he exaggerates what he does uh you know a lot of a lot of uh you know what he classifies as crime fighting is just standing outside of bars and picking fights with drunk people um so you get a lot of people coming out and um basically you know releasing their like why I quit the Rain City superhero YouTube videos, which you see those on everything. Why I quit Disney. Why I quit BuzzFeed. Um, they, there was why like
0: I, why I quit deep cuts. Yeah,
1: <laughs> whenever you release your why I quit deep cuts video, um, and it's because I stole your sombrero. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> uh, but hey, that,
0: Andrew, Andrew. Have you- have you seen my sombrero? I don't
1: know what you're talking about. This is <laughs> this is a different sombrero. <laughs> I don't Andrew, know I,
0: why have you been wearing a sombrero this entire this podcast. Is, this is a
1: different sombrero.
0: I know my sombrero. You're wearing my sombrero.
1: <laughs> I must have told you that story before of how whenever I was a kid, I had like taken a some, sombrero. I no, I had taken some leather gloves and cut off the fingers of them to like have like badass motorcycle dude fingerless gloves and i wore them to school and i was just like yeah fucking i'm the terminator from the film terminator 2 and judgment day yes i left them in my desk and then the next day there was a kid who was wearing the gloves and he was like showing them to kids and they were blatantly my gloves because my gloves had been stolen and they were just my gloves. It was, it was the gloves. And I went up to him and I was like, those are mine. And he said, no, they're not. They're mine. And then I said, okay. And I walked away. And it was like that weird thing where when you're a kid and like you, f- you weirdly feel like you can't challenge what you perceive uh, this, as authority this, or something. This,
0: this literally happened to me. This literally happened to me. One, yes, you've told me that story before. But two, I don't know if I've told you my version of that story, which is that I was at the park with a bunch of my G.I. Joe's was playing with G.I. Joe's by myself, the park like you do. And I had some sort of plot where like there was a secret weapon that all the G.I. Joe's were looking for. And I buried one of the G.I. Joe machine guns in the sand in the, you know, little playpen thing in the in the in the park. And so I'm running around with the G.I. Joe's, or whatever. And then they, I come back to where the gun is buried and I'm like having the G.I. Joe's dig for it. And the gun isn't there and I turn around and there's another kid holding the gun. And I'm like, oh, hey, that's mine. And he's like, no, it's not. And I was like, no, no, it is. I just I just put it there. Like they go that that's Firefly's rifle. This is Firefly. Like that's the same. That's the gun. And yeah, he's like, you're, nah.
1: you're you're you know, airtight logic you can't argue with.
0: Yeah, we all know what Firefly's gun looks like. Yeah. Well, you know what? I have a firefly that has no gun now because yeah. that kid still owns it. Fuck mm-hmm. you, that kid.
1: Yeah, I mean I hope he's dead, but
0: Me too. Fuck uh, you. Uh, uh but yeah, kid.
1: and that was like it was like the weird thing where it's like you you didn't quite learn that when somebody just blatantly lies to you, you say, "No, that's my fucking shit. Give it to me." So you kind of like accept it because he said it, so I guess it's true even though you like you like brainwash yourself into accepting something that you know is not true, uh, so yeah, Phoenix Jones did that to El Caballero with his sombrero. Um, but there's and then there's also uh, I think the the biggest so there was this sort of wave of this of like all these different former Rain City superheroes coming out and having their personal like Phoenix Jones is actually an asshole story, um, and uh, they even like tried to form their own separate superhero society without him which
0: it's called fuck phoenix jones did did
1: not take off at all but uh the, the i think the culmination of that was that one of the one of the superheroes i forget which one it was he started dating a previous girlfriend of phoenix jones so he started texting him a bunch of like threats on his life saying he was going to kill him, he was going to come to his house and fight him and all these things like that. And then he came to his house and, like, was standing outside of his house texting him threats. And the guy called the police and then they came uh, and there's a video of him giving a statement where he's, like, describing what he said to him. And they're like, yeah, there's, you know, here's the proof, here's the text. Um, He was outside of my house physically threatening me. I got them um,
0: receipts.
1: Yeah. And then and the, and, then that, and that all basically culminated in him finally getting busted for the drug stuff.
0: It's so sad. It's so sad. Ben Fodor, a.k.a. Phoenix Jones, seems like a man haunted by inflexibility and a rigid moral hierarchy that is so difficult to live up to. It's a miracle that the man gets out of bed in the morning. His aspirational goals are so idealized. They're almost a means by which to commit self-sabotage. He takes these inspirational and allegorical characters and attempts to render them into flesh and bone, forgetting that the entire reason we love and appreciate these characters is the simple fact that they're ostensibly mythical and untouchable. No human can literally do what they do, which is almost explicitly the point. They're role models of how we should act at our best, not how we should be at every waking moment of our life and i think that's that is a very specific pinpoint on the very the, the the permutation of ben fodor phoenix jones flat tops version of black and white justice going out seven days a week never compromising constructing an elaborate maze of stories around himself to wall himself off from critique all of these methods are built theoretically for a higher purpose, you know, this idea of upholding justice. But they're also very selfish in that they're predicated on that no one else is doing anything. Yeah. And
1: and and he has a lot of that built into his narrative of like he kind of oscillated back and forth between like being very cautious in his rhetoric of speaking out that vigilantism is wrong and that you shouldn't do that. People shouldn't put on costumes and go out and try to like stop bad guys. You know that like you said before that like even going out and handing out sandwiches to homeless people is an act of heroism and and, and, supporting that. But then later on kind of like developing a negative attitude towards those people that like they're just basically posers and he called them he called them sandwich jockeys or (laughs) sandwich handlers. Yeah, he called them he he called them sandwich handlers that like and you basically go on these rants about how most costume superheroes are quote-unquote sandwich handlers they're not real heroes they're not actually doing anything they're just going out with a costume and giving out sandwiches to homeless people um and he kind of like he kind of turned heel on that a little bit over time of initially supporting that and saying like this is the right thing to do don't try to go out and like stop a bad guy with a knife or something just go out and hand out sandwiches to homeless people and even that was a little bit arrogant and sort of being like... But he's bas- he was basically saying like, I do it for real, but you shouldn't do it for real. I'm like a special case, <clears throat> but you should just go out there and hand out sandwiches. To eventually kind of like hardening against that <clears throat> and turning against it and basically speaking out that those people are fake and they're posers and he's the only one who's really out there doing it.
0: And the fact that this appears to have literally you know, the, this this hierarchy of inflexibility like literally broke him as a human is just more evidence to the fact that you kind of can't do these stories in real life, which is the point. That's why we have metaphors.
1: Yeah, so superheroes are metaphors for what we should strive to be, not uh, a set of instructions of what you should be.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, throughout this whole thing, I, I was I found myself thinking a lot about the Dark Knight, that, the movie, The Dark Knight, and specifically the Christopher Nolan idea of, you know, you, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And it's so crazy. Or, or, to or as
1: I like to call it now, pulling a Joe Biden.
0: It's so true. It's so true. Um, but it's it's so crazy that Ben Fodor's life lines up with this many superhero tropes. Like it almost feels like chaos magic where he's just like willed himself into being the living representation of comic book tropes. Like the next thing that's going to happen is he's going to get rebooted. Like he's going to come back and he's going to have de-aged 10 years. And oh yeah, that crime, that crime story never happened. I'm Phoenix Jones again. That was another guy that's in prison. Uh, it was a different guy who was just named Ben Fodor. I'm Phoenix Jones, Ben Fodor. Don't worry about that. We're starting on with a new clean jumping on point and a new number one. Let's do this.
1: Well, the like, thing I the thing I thought about it was that the almost like M. Night Shyamalan-esque twist is that the entire time it was all an origin story for a supervillain.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If he comes out of this and becomes like a massive drug kingpin, like wielding AK-47s, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of going to be excited about that. <laughs> like selling, selling cocaine on the street. Fine. Drug Lord, AK forty sevens with the Phoenix Jones you know, dorky head mask. I'm kinda here for that.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's Phoenix there's,
0: Jones versus Phoenix Jones V El Chapo, <clears throat> Dawn of Justice. I mean Yep.
1: There's a part of you that just can't deny it.
0: I Martha <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Yeah, I don't know. Um I guess, you know, the the, the, the to put a closing note on this, I think the the idea that everything about Ben Fodor's life was gray and he tried to make it black and white is the defining crucible of his life, right? Um, was Ben Fodor the man's quest for justice really just an idiosyncratic overshadowing and attempted expulsion of the inevitable darkness that lurks within all of us? Was his mission to make his community safe a methinks that I protest too much onslaught of his own negative impulses? Was he just a dude abused by the foster care system, who now has no skills or education, so he's resorted to the only means of income he can find? Punching dudes. I don't know. All I know is that regardless of what the true answer is, the revelatory thought that finishes Phoenix Jones' final monologue should end with these words.
2: And then when you get to the end, you go, oh my god, I didn't realize how I got here. And now that I see I'm here, I totally see what made me this way.
0: The most puzzling aspect of all of this—the eternal question that lingers in the mind after poring over this research about the duality within Ben Fodor, why the fuck doesn't he cut his nails? Do you notice that he's got weird, long nails, dude?
1: Maybe, maybe he's a flamenco guitar player. In Honestly, his, in his alter I would ego. love that
0: if 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 Phoenix Jones, if the Phoenix Jones reboot is just him like plucking guitar, you know, fighting crime, and his guitar is like made of steel, so he can hit people in the face with it. I'm like, pretty, into like that.
1: El Cabong.
0: I don't know what the fuck that is
1: really quick draw no. McGraw Hanna-Barbera cartoon that apparently the the I, horse that's... the cowboy horse with the cowboy hat and then no. you had, like, he had like an alter ego that was a superhero called El Cabong who would like hit people over the head with a guitar uh
0: the only Hanna-Barbera thing i give a shit about is Johnny Quest
1: you know the you know the um the 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 in bumper for Hanna-Barbera cartoons uh where it's like uh it's a bunch of sound effects it's like <laughs> that sound at the end that's the sound of like a guitar smashing mm-hmm. that's from quick drama McGraw.
0: well apparently i need to do some homework
1: i mean it's no it's not it, it's not good it's like
0: <laughs> well look i gotta watch something while i'm gonna be doing all these push-ups to make my superhero persona that this podcast was the origin story of
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah normally i would say closing thoughts but i feel like we've covered him pretty extensively i think it's it's super sad that he's currently involved in a you know, legal case about him being a drug dealer. I hope that he can get his life together in, and walk the straight and narrow or 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 whatever that means for Ben Fodor. Like, he seems like an unreliable narrator in a lot of ways and he seems like someone who both has good intention and ill intention, but there's something about his unrelenting willpower that I relate to and I want to see him succeed even though I don't really agree with what he's doing or the way he's doing it. There's something about the fact that, like, he's going out and living his version of the truth that I'm like, fuck, man, I just wish the universe would cut you a break.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean my, my closing thought on it is just, you know, tying it back to current events. You know, we talked a lot about the philosophy and the psychology and a lot of these sort of academic deconstructions in the abstract. But the I think taking into consideration... Um, you know the 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 current situation going on with you know global protests and 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 riots uh, with you know the citizens the of racism, <laughs> yeah, citizens of cities, you know, taking a stand and saying that they've had enough of you know the 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 systemic racially inspired police brutality that's gone on you know pretty much forever. Uh The the the, the the thing that is dangerous about somebody like Phoenix Jones is I don't know for certain because I haven't heard him talk about it and I don't really know what he's doing right now. But based on everything that I've seen him say and in, in interviews throughout the years, it seems even like he'd be somebody who would in a situation like this would side with the cops because he has such a black and white view of what it what justice means and it lacks context or nuance and it lacks it lacks a moral compass basically it's just all about like this is right and this is wrong and right is dictated by what the laws are and the laws in theory should be what the public wants because they voted for it so the laws are objectively and absolutely what is right because we as a country have dictated that those are the laws and therefore they are right and anything that contradicts those is wrong and that is what my view on the impossibly nuanced and complicated concept of right and wrong is, is based on these series of checkboxes that are kind of all built on a false premise. So, you know, somebody like Phoenix Jones, I feel like he would be on the side of rationalizing some of these uh, deaths at the hand of, hands of of police officers and, you know, demonizing the protests because... They are, you know, a sign of civil disobedience, basically. And, uh, you know, being so focused on this preconceived notion of what justice is that he just completely doesn't take into consideration any of the new of the human nuance and the the moral quandaries of it. And basically just can't see the forest for the trees and realize that there are extenuating circumstances where you can no longer think like that and you have to adapt your thinking to current circumstances and uh more nuanced information than just what is the law
0: yeah i i honestly have no real insight into what he would think either pro-cop or anti-cop in this situation i really don't know because i could i could see him being really excited about everything that's happening specifically because it is a a way that the individuals in society are waking up, attempting to be better and utilize their voice to stand up to something that they think is wrong, which is something he talks about a lot. But I can also see him, like you're saying, having a weird regressive anti-cop or a pro-cop perspective just because he's been stabbed in the street. You know what I mean? Like he's ex- he's had intense experiences where uh, a society... That does not have a militarized police force might be a bad idea to him because he's had experiences where he's like, no i I want those motherfuckers there with shotguns and and flak vests.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd like to believe that he would kind of fall in the former camp, but you know, something about kind of watching some of those interviews where he's talking about the the May Day protests and kind of looking down on them is sort of regarding them as kind of a. Uh, a, a chaotic yeah, group he, and, of...
0: And, and, yeah, because he's he's also somebody who a group of people doing things isn't appealing to him. He likes the black and white one person going out and saying something or doing something. And that's why he was so upset that it didn't catch on. The Rain City superhero movement didn't catch on. That His actions didn't inspire legions of other people to take up arms and be vigilantes I guess I don't. you know what I mean like he talks so much about that but in actuality like that idea is horrifying dude like you don't actually want that yeah. so I don't know I don't know I, I think he's a very he's a fascinating person I think he's someone who at least for a certain time period his heart was in the right place I think he's someone who comes from a very traumatic broken emotional place and honestly I throughout this whole thing I just I, I find myself thinking about his son a lot where I just I hope that he is able to be there for his son in a way that is meaningful, and that this artificial crusade doesn't tarnish that relationship. Which it almost feels like it has to, right? Yeah. Like it. I mean, like it is just, just. He's so dedicated to this ideal, which may or may not be misguided. It, he's dedicated to it, and that's something I admire. Just because it's hard to believe in anything, let alone something that society tells you is fucking stupid. Yeah. So on that note, this is Deep Cuts. I'm Dave Baker.
1: And I'm Andrew Price.
0: You can find me online at heydavebaker.com where you can purchase my comic books like Fuck Off Squad and Action Hospital.
1: And you can find me kicking back on my couch wearing a sombrero that's definitely not the same sombrero that Dave lost. (laughs) And also at dapricerights.com where you can get my comic, Deadbolt, AI Private Eye. Um Phoenix Jones
0: Phoenix Jones <laughs>